Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On August 21st, 2001, Aaliyah Houghton, one of the rising superstars of R&B, hip-hop, movies, she'd already been dubbed the princess of R&B, queen of urban pop, just 22 years old, appeared on BET's 106 in Park to talk about her upcoming trip to the Bahamas where she'd be filming a music video for her new single, Rock the Boat. We gotta know what the next video is, and I hope you're saying it's the song I love. Yes, <laughs> it is, it's Rock the Boat. Yes! It's Rock the Boat. Yeah! Now, when can um, we expect that? I, I shoot the video tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Okay. The mood was very light. Her future was bright. Uh, in addition to the thriving music career, she had a film career that was taking off. She'd been booked for a role and filmed scenes already in the highly anticipated sequel to The Matrix. Even the music video was a major event in and of itself. Rock the Boat was directed by Hype Williams, who had a huge name in the industry. He directed classics like Will Smith's Getting Jiggy With It, TLC's No Scrubs. Uh, and it involved this huge production in the Bahamas. Nearly 60 people were going to be on set. Aaliyah, in fact, filmed several dance sequences on a green screen and underwater shots in Miami in preparation for it on August 22nd. And then she joined the rest of the crew in the Bahamas on August 23rd. She was scheduled to leave the Bahamas on August 26th, but actually finished filming early and decided to head back a night before. She'd never make it back to American soil. I'm Derek Kaufman. I'm Jason Beckerman. And this is Last Days, Aaliyah. So on August 25th, about 6.50 p.m., Aaliyah and seven other people, her entourage, a makeup artist, some staff, other people working with her, friends on the music video shoot, boarded a twin-engine Cessna 402B at the Marsh Harbor Airport on the Abaco Islands in the Bahamas. A little bit about this plane, the 402B Cessna. It's a relatively small plane. It fits about seven or eight people. Frankly, the passenger, the, I'm sorry, the pilot, who we'll talk about in a minute, recommended that only seven people fly with Aaliyah, or a total of seven people in the party. She happened to have eight in her party. Yeah, I call these planes puddle jumpers, right? Yeah. I mean, they're the small planes for very short flights, and the Bahamas are close enough to Miami that you don't need a commercial jet airliner, you don't need a Boeing 747. You take these small flights, they're noisy, there's not an aisle, there's not a lot of service, but they get you from A to B. Yeah, so this is a, a chartered flight. It's about a three-hour flight from the Abaco Islands to Opalaca, Florida, where she was flying to. And again, she and the seven people get on board and are preparing to leave. The plane was piloted by Luis Morales, who had apparently expressed some concern about the total weight load of the plane. It was certified for seven passengers, but there were eight for this flight. And there was also some heavy equipment and luggage on board. Aaliyah was a nervous flyer, and she was immediately sort of put off by this. Another thing, the flight was scheduled to take off early in the night. It was about three and a half hours late to arrive at the Abaco Islands. Which, if you're a nervous flyer, already adds to your anxiety. You see this anxiety. tiny plane, they're late, it's nightfall all of a sudden. Right. You're getting nervous. Anybody who's taken these small planes from island to island, I'm a somewhat nervous flyer, and I've done this before, and I'm constantly on edge. 
Aaliyah, who by all accounts was extremely nervous. You have warnings from the pilot coming in that they might be a little bit overweighted. The plane is a few hours late getting in. It's a long flight on a small plane to Opalaka, so she gets extremely nervous. She decides that she's going to actually get off the plane and go sit in the car for a while just to sort of get her nerve. And there's a little bit of dispute, a little bit of controversy perhaps on what exactly happened next. We know that she may, she took some sort of a relaxant of some kind, which many, many people do. I do sometimes Take when the I'm edge blind, off actually. a little bit. Take the edge off a little bit. There are reports that she had, she was in fact calmed. She potentially sedated, and there are some talk that she was actually carried back onto the plane. We're not exactly sure what state she was in, but at some point, she, the seven passengers, and the pilot, Luis Morales, get back on the plane and begin the process of taking off. Yeah, you have to remember, Aaliyah was the superstar of this flight. She's there with these other individuals, the pilot and and seven other people, but they are her, basically her entourage. So you can imagine she's extremely nervous, but on a tight schedule, has to get back to Florida, and, you know, sort of goes to the car to relax a little bit and then is led back onto the airplane, whether she's carried on or whether she is just she sort of walks on ushered on in her own we way. Really know, we don't really right. know the details, but she did need to calm down in the car beforehand. Shortly after takeoff, literally 200 feet from the runway, the plane nosedives and crashes, killing nearly instantly seven of the passengers and the pilot. The only survivor in the immediate aftermath of the crash was a man named Scott Gallen. Scott Gallen was Aaliyah's security guard. And during the moments after the crash, he is uh, paramedics are rushing to the scene and he spends his last moments asking about Aaliyah's condition. Remember, everyone there, the hairstylist, the record execu- executives, uh, her makeup artists, they're all there for service of Aaliyah. So his last concerns while he is dying there on the on uh, in the crash site was for Aaliyah herself. She was just 22 years old when she passed away from this crash. Scott Gallon eventually passes away, or shortly thereafter, passes away from the injury sustained in the crash. So everybody on board is killed in the plane crash. Yeah, now the witnesses from the scene, because remember this was only 200 feet from the runway, uh, said that the plane had only actually uh, lifted off the ground about 60 to 100 feet before it nosedives and crashes. So this is not a mid-air flight. This is not near the end. This is not over the water. This is directly into a marsh. Someone who described the scene said it was absolutely devastating. The aircraft was broken into pieces and some of the seats were thrown from the aircraft. So it really tells a story about, you know, there were warnings this plane was overloaded. The pilot got a lot of criticism, we'll talk about that, for not being more forceful in his uh, insistence that they not take off with this much, many people, this much equipment. And it clearly is the overweight, the, the weight of this plane is clearly what, what brings it down. Yeah. So immediately after the crash, there's a, a funeral for Aaliyah. This is a star struck down at her height. Like I said, her career was taking off. She was getting movie roles. She was at the height of her music career. 800 mourners attended her funeral uh, on August 31st. You had a slew of celebrities, Missy Elliott, Timbaland, Gladys Knight, who was her aunt, Lil' Kim, Puff Daddy. There was an outpouring of love for this young, young star who was just yeah. taken from us very too really, soon. Really dramatic event her funeral was. 22 white doves are released, symbolizing each year of her young life. Her body was set in a silver-plated casket and carried off in a horse-drawn glass hearse. 
So the immediate aftermath of a crash like this is you're going to have some investigations. And because the crash took place in the Bahamas, the first investigation is done by the coroner's office in the Bahamas, where the where the crash took place. Uh, they ordered an immediate inquest to determine the precise causes of death. So they're focused on how did the people on the plane actually die rather than the nature of the crash itself. So the report that comes out says Aliyah suffered, quote, severe burns and a blow to the head. In addition to, and this is very interesting, she suffered severe shock and had a, quote, weak heart. Now, you don't see that very often in in a sort of coroner's report because it sounds very loose, but maybe the Bahamas well, does things differently. Well, a coroner's report where the cause of death is so clearly the impact of the plane crash, there's sort of an aside in this report yes. that she had a weak heart as well. Yeah, and what the coroner was trying to convey was even if the impact of the crash hadn't killed her, which it had, she suffers the blow to the head and that is the deadly impact, they don't think she would have survived uh, the crash even if she had suffered less deadly trauma. They thought her heart was so weak uh, that the shock of it would have not allowed her to recover. Uh, several of the other victims, including the security guard who we mentioned, the hairdresser and the pilot, were taken to the morgue in NASA in, in the Bahamas, where the bodies remained until relatives could make positive identifications, which they ultimately did. So the second aspect of this investigation is done by the Civil Aviation Department. It conducts a thorough investigation into the causes of the crash itself. It was determined that in addition to having one or more passengers than the plane was certified to carry, the aircraft exceeded its weight limit by more than 900 pounds. Pretty significant given the size of this plane. You can look up the size of the, 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 these planes online. They're very easy to see. It's a pretty small aircraft. Yeah, you can get away with an extra passenger. Like we said, this is a chartered flight and it is not uncommon for chartered flights to allow an extra person on board. That wasn't what was the problem. 900 extra pounds means there was a lot of luggage and equipment that simply made this plane too heavy to fly. So the National Transportation Safety Board, that's a United States agency, stated that, quote, the airplane was seen lifting off the runway and the nose down, impacting a marsh on the south side of the departure end of runway 27. The NTSB said that the additional weight changed the center of gravity beyond its rear limit, which compromised its ability to take off and balance itself for the flight. The pilot, Luis Morales, we had mentioned earlier that he came under some pretty intense scrutiny for his actions during, well, really before the flight. I don't think that he could have survived the actual flight itself once it took off. But before the flight, he was found to have falsely obtained his FAA license by showing logs for hundreds of hours of flight time that he'd never flown. Morales had only received his pilot's license in February 2000, about a year and a half before the crash. It's believed he falsified the hours to get the job with this employer, Blackhawk International. He'd always been he he'd already been turned down once before for a job in October 2000 for lack of experience. I think what you're setting up here is a situation where you have a very powerful young superstar and her entourage dealing with a very inexperienced pilot. They want to to the point you were making earlier. They wanted to get back to the United States as quickly as possible. I think they pressured him to do it, and he was too inexperienced to stand up to them and say, I can't fly, because he knew that this plane was far overweight, and he knew the dangers that were inherent there. That's right, but you can imagine an inexperienced pilot not having sort of the backbone to Absolutely. stand up to a superstar who says, i got to be back in Miami by this time. I've got a very tight schedule. Maybe not Aaliyah herself, but sort of her well, handlers. Well, colors it, understanding the position that she was in. That's what makes her going back to the car, taking the sedative, 
so, so it gives so much color to the situation that, you know, she's now, and you have these other people sort of mouthpiecing on her behalf as they must have been. The pilot, nevertheless, he's ultimately in charge of the ship. He's the captain of the ship. He's the one that made the ultimate decision to lift off. I think that's exactly right. There's a certain ugliness that goes on when you investigate these things because everything looks much worse in, in hindsight. Yes, he puffed on his resume. Uh, he said he had logged some hours that he maybe hadn't logged, but things always look worse after a crash. And his family really rushed to his defense. So Morales' family said, look, this was a young man totally dedicated to his profession. He was more than qualified to pilot that Cessna. U.S. aviation officials said the FAA records showed Morales' name was not even on the authorization papers, though. So things started to snowball and get worse as they peeled back the layers. And it looked as if Blackhawk, the company that hired him to fly their chartered jet, hadn't actually put his name as an authorized pilot for that flight. This is a big problem. And now you start to see how things could turn into potential lawsuits against the company that hired him. And that's a deeper pocket. And uh, we have some toxicology reports you're going to talk about in a second here that made things even worse for Luis Morales. He was actually high on cocaine at the time of the the flight. Yeah, this is a big problem. So the toxicology report reveals traces of cocaine and alcohol in Morales' system. Just a few weeks before the crash, he'd actually been booked on a felony cocaine possession charge. When cops in Broward County, Florida, say they found a crack cocaine in his car after pulling him over for running a stop sign. Now, Blackhawk, the company that hired Morales, had also a checkered history. Well, this is where sort of, you know, you un- going too deeply into anybody's history, you're going to find some bad stuff. But when somebody dies and they start doing this, all of this stuff looks really awful in hindsight. Yeah. So Blackhawk, now you're looking at the company. They had been cited four times for safety violations and maintenance standards in the three years before the crash. Not exactly a record you want when you've uh, been the charter company for the plane that crashes with Aaliyah on board. It had received a warning for not drug testing employees in 1999. This crashes in 2001, and Morales, as we said, was found to have traces of cocaine in his system. Not certified to fly, to, to fly the plane, not we're, registered as a, as a p- pilot for this airplane. We're both lawyers. Where does this all lead? Well, this all leads to lawsuits, and you know, some lawsuits are bogus and some are not. This one does not seem bogus to me at all, right? So in May of 2002, Aaliyah's parents, Diane and Michael Houghton, file a civil suit against Virgin Records America in Los Angeles, alleging that the record company was responsible for all the arrangements in the Bahama for the video shoot, negligent in several ways. First, they claim the Cessna plane itself was the wrong plane for the charter flight because there were too many passengers and too many equipment for too much equipment for it to handle. So before we even get to Blackhawk, they're going first after the uh, Virgin Records, the, the record label, because they're the ones that actually booked this charter flight. They knew how many people would be traveling. They knew the weight of the equipment. They nevertheless booked this plane. Second, they came Morales was not properly qualified to operate their aircraft. And so they also went after Blackhawk for improperly assigning him to the flight. Yeah, you're looking for any pocket that you can collect from and who are the wrongdoers here. And Virgin, it may sound like that's not the initial thought in your mind after you read the NTSB report. But remember, Virgin Records is her label and they're expected to take care of their artists. And they, as to your point, they arranged all of these things and they're the deepest pocket, right? So Blackhawk is a small charter company. They also get sued. But Virgin is the company that you're going to go after if you really want uh, true compensation for someone of Aaliyah's stature. And that's not that's not in any way besmirching the. Uh, the the Houghtons. This is what people do when you file a lawsuit. You know we've lost. They've lost a loved one. When you lose something or someone like this, what you do is all you can do is attempt to get money. That's the only. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's the only recompense that the, our laws allow. 
And so they said, look, if we're, if we're going to go out and get money, there's a lot of people responsible for the death of our child. One of them, they believe, is Virgin Records. They have the deepest pockets. We're going to include them in these lawsuits. Yeah. Now, the lawsuits ultimately settle, as these things usually do, because it's an unpleasant experience for both sides to be in court. And, and, and settlements are often the best path to just putting these issues behind you. Brian Panish uh, represented two of the other families uh, involved in the crash, you know, family members of other people who were killed in the crash. And they publicly criticized Virgin Records as well for putting profits over people. Uh, another attorney involved in the cases described the overloading of the tiny Cessna as outrageous and described it as trying to put a size 12 foot in a size 10 shoe. So this is what plaintiff's attorneys are particularly good at is uh, drawing these colorful metaphors. And it yeah. really did hammer the ho point home is this was not an extra carry on bag. Yeah. This was 900 pounds extra. The plane simply couldn't get off the ground and that caused the crash. Just a quick aside, as we go through this podcast, and we're talking about the unfortunate last days of a lot of celebrities. You're going to hear Brian Panish's name come up a bit. He's re represented, as you said, a few of the, the deceased on this flight. Uh, he also represents some of the biggest names in Hollywood history uh, and their families in the wakes of their death when they're going after people. You will remember that name, Brian Panish. You will hear it quite a bit. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, and Walmart, and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. So download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's Rakuten. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Another name uh, we all know is Aliyah uh, in Arabic. It's, it's the feminization of the name Ali, obviously a very common Arabic name. It uh, translates to the highest and most, most exalted one, the best. It was something the singer, singer was very proud of and strove to live up to in her short time. Her mother was a vocalist and her uncle was a gentleman by the name of Barry Hankerson. Uh, we will talk a lot about Barry Hankerson over the next few minutes. He's an entertainment lawyer who'd been married to Gladys Knight. And that's right. Gladys Knight was Aaliyah's aunt. Gladys took young Aaliyah under her wing. She met her at a very young age, recognized the talent that, that young Aaliyah had early on, took her to auditions, signed her up for stints on Family Matters and Star Search. The two, uh, Gladys Knight and Aaliyah, would perform on stage together. Knight was instrumental in helping to form the entertainment co connections for her niece. Naturally, she was, of course, devastated by the crash, which she received notice shortly after one of her performances. I remember just uh, coming off stage and William, my husband, um, he came and he took my hand. I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know who. And um, he said, um, our niece... I said, what, what? He said, Aaliyah. I said, what? He said, she was in a plane crash. 
So she has the start with her her aunt Gladys Knight, which is a great start and entry into the industry. And her uncle Barry Hankerson, as you mentioned, is a prominent entertainment lawyer with his own connections. Uh, he ends up getting her signed to a record deal with Blackground Le- Records uh, label at the age of twelve. So she has this stint on Star Search. She's obviously very talented and precocious. Uh, he at this point introduces her to someone who will become a huge part of the Aaliyah story, and that's R. Kelly. R. Kelly would later become her mentor, her lead songwriter, her producer, and by some accounts, her husband for a short period of time as well. Weird to say it, by some accounts, her husband, but we'll get into that in a minute. Right. So so she's signed to this label. She's just 14 years old when she produces her first album with R. Kelly at the helm. And obviously, we need to pause here. R. Kelly is a figure who, at the time, was not known as the monster that he's known as today uh, and this sort of sexual predator who would go after young people people this was not part of the r kelly narrative at the time it but wasn't it is... but i have to tell you if if this happened today i think that the label of predator would have been assigned to him much earlier because the nature of his relationship with Aaliyah became clear to the world when she was just 14 years old and he was 26 at the time he was 27 years old 27. at the time she yes and so the album that they cut uh, it's sort of uh, uncomfortable to talk about now but the album was called Age Ain't Nothing But a Number which sounds very creepy in, in today's context but putting that aside for putting a second, that aside it's hard for to put moment. that aside it's a big part of her story it's a big part of R. Kelly's story but nevertheless we're here to tell a, a story of her last days and a big part of her career coming up is the release of Age Ain't Nothing But a Number. It debuts at number 24. It's pretty successful. It's a pretty successful album. It debuts at 24 on the Billboard 200. It eventually gets certified twice platinum, which means it sold at least 2 million copies. And now in the U.S. alone, to date, it sold over 3 million copies. So this is a very big album. Uh, and one of the big songs from it is the title track, Age Ain't Nothing But a Number. So what you hear in this track is distinctively Aaliyah's, Aaliyah's voice, and it shows a lot of promise. But if you're listening to music around this period of time, it's hard to differentiate Aaliyah's sound from many of the other acts in the in the late 90s. This will sound like a lot of En Vogue and it all sorts of sort of those types of artists. It's sort of blurred together. And Aaliyah was aware of this and sort of wanted to branch out. Um, from her R. Kelly beginnings. But Derek, she she these are just her formative years, and she's still developing as a singer. R. Kelly is continuing to mentor her and is really working with her to turn her into what she would eventually become, which is a full-fledged superstar. She signs with Atlantic Records, starts collaborating with two up-and-coming music producers whose strange sound effect and distinctive stuttering uh, what do they call it? Virginia Beats? They Is call them Virginia good? Beats. They're the Virginia, Virginia Beach Beats. Beats. Would define R&B for the next decade. The two superstars, or soon-to-be superstars, they're young at the time, are Timbaland and Missy Elliott. I actually read where they talked about the fact that she was, it's hard to think of now, she was so big and they were just starting out that they were sort of in awe of her and her prowess. Uh, but they nevertheless said that she was one of the warmest people they'd ever met. The three began a collaboration that is insanely successful, and her song, Are You That Somebody, would become a smash hit. And here's Timberland talking about what an impressive young woman she was and how much he really cared about. You can hear it in his voice how much he loved her. I tell you like this, the thing that really bothers me the most about the live with the death, we just got in an argument. And I never really got to say I'm sorry. But when I was about to say, you know, why are we even tripping? That's when we got the news. 
So part of what propelled Are You That Somebody into this Billboard Top 40 smash hit and garnered her a Grammy nomination was that it, fe- it was featured on the Dr. Doolittle soundtrack. And this is an important inflection point in Aaliyah's career because although that's a somewhat forgettable Eddie Murphy comedy of the late 90s, you could see that Aaliyah could form this bridge, sort of the synergy between film and music. So in 1999, she stars alongside a rising martial arts star who you may have heard of. That's Jet Li in Romeo Must Die. The movie is a surprise hit. It brings in 18.6 million, which for a small kung fu movie is not is nothing to sort of uh, sneeze at in its first weekend, and it launches her new single, Try Again, which goes all the way to number one on the Billboard Hot 100. So now she's a proven artist who can carry a movie and launch uh, a music career. So now Aaliyah's in the catbird seat. She's really a hot commodity. She's on the precipice of real superstar. Well, try, try Again is a is a smash hit that rivals any other hits of the entire decade. She This is a huge song that everybody's familiar with, and it brings her from a, I think, from a point of uh, uh, an up-and-coming, somewhat famous artist into a worldwide phenomenon. It's exactly right. So immediately on the heels of Romeo Must Die, she books her second film, Queen of the Damned, where she plays an ancient vampire. But she did film scenes for the Matrix sequel, as we talked about, although we never got to see her in that role. Uh, it was eventually recast um, after her death. So she's managing this burgeoning career. She's stretched pretty thin. Much of her focus is on striking the balance between this singing career and this acting career. And it sort of paints this picture where her schedule is jam packed and you can sort of situate the tragedy of her crash into this because remember, she filmed these underwater shots in Miami. She goes to the Bahamas. She's in such a rush that she films her parts for the music video ahead of time and then is in a, a, a rush to get back into the States. You can see why she's in high demand. She's on 106 and Park all the time. She's giving interviews constantly. She can't be in any one place. And it, set, it sort of lends itself to adding to the tragedy a bit because you hear about the pressure that was applied to the to the pilot, even though they didn't want to necessarily take off, and then it ends in this way. There are a few people that we talk about who truly do die at the peak of their powers, and I think that's the real tragedy of Aaliyah, and there's lots of tragedies relating to her and the other people who died on that plane, but the fact that she was as big as she was and she had just reached that point makes it all the sadder that it was sort of snuffed out at at that moment. New artists still pay their respects to Aaliyah even more than two decades later. In 2013, Chris Brown released a track called Don't They Know featuring Aaliyah singing the song's hook and complete with a music video and a dancing hologram of the late star. So, Jason, you mentioned it's been 20-plus years since her death, and it's harder and harder to to put her career in context and really convey how big she was. The best analog I could come up with is another bright, mononymous star uh, who had a distinctive voice and would come along just a few years later and change the music and movie landscape, and that's Rihanna. Riri burst on the music scene and almost immediately dips her toes in movies as well. You remember she landed roles in Battleship and This Is The End, coming off huge music successes, uh, and it looks like she was going to sort of dominate both realms as well. 
Now, of course, Rihanna is a billionaire business mogul with her Fenty line, and it's easy to see how that trajectory might have played out for Aaliyah. One of the things that Rihanna is most credited for is how bright she is. People who know her well say she's so bright. Aaliyah, her parents were point, quick to point out in the wake of her death, was a perfect 4-0 student. There's a lot of quotes attributed to Aaliyah that even as she's getting, remember, she's famous by 14. She continues to attend school in Detroit at a, at a private school in Detroit. She's getting straight A's, and she would caution young artists even you know she stayed she was obviously 22 when she died but even through her late teens early 20s she would caution young artists about dropping out of school she frequently talked about the need to stay in school and she was a brilliant student so the parallel i'm just sort of drawing out further the parallel between she and rihanna the the music sensation the dabbling their their feet, their toes into the movie industry never successfully quite yet but who knows they would have gotten there uh but also the quiet intelligence they both had. Yeah, and there's one more very significant connection. Rihanna, of course, is a protege of Jay-Z, was discovered by Jay-Z and launched her to superstardom. Aaliyah, at the time of her death, was said to have been dating the co-founder of Rockefeller Records, Damon Dash. It's a name you've heard many, sure. many times if, if you're familiar with TMZ at all. We do a lot of stories on him. So at the time of their death, they're dating. They'd been introduced back in 2000 and quickly formed a close bond. In fact, Jay-Z mentioned Aaliyah and Dash in the remix of her song, Miss You, which was posthumously released in 2003. Five years later, uh, Jay was married to uh, Beyonce. And it's fun to think about how these two massive power couples could have come to pass. You could have had Aaliyah and Damon Dash and Jay-Z and Beyonce at the top of the world of hip-hop and pop culture. Right. So you've gotten into this point of what we like to call a counterfactual, right? Which is what happens if this individual doesn't pass? We talked about it in the case of Paul Walker. He likely does the Fast and Furious movies. In the case of Amy Winehouse, maybe she didn't really have the career in front of her because of her hardcore drug use and that she was really you know, re- reaching seemingly a, a, an end, uh, at least of her career. With Aaliyah, it's the first one person we've covered who was just starting out. It's hard yeah. to think about, is she Beyonce? Is she Rihanna 15, 20 years later at the top of the world of music? Uh, you know, a multi-hundred millionaire, this, this sort of trajectory that she seemed to be on more so than most other artists. I mean, we see lots of artists who flame out quickly and never sort of make it back. That was not the trajectory she was on. It really sort of heightens the tragedy of the whole of the whole affair. I mean, in 2021, Dash actually spoke about their relationship and he tapped into what I thought were all of our feelings about how to properly sort of think about and 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 sort of grapple with the loss of Aaliyah. He said, quote, I was reflecting there hasn't been one day since she's passed, not one in the 20 years that I haven't either heard her name, heard her record, or seen a picture of her. Every single day she's present in my life, and I feel lucky for that. And I feel like we still see her, we still hear her, and she'll never go away. Aaliyah is here to say. Thanks very much, everybody. Thanks.